Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. The critic Raymond Williams once wrote that every historical period has its own, quote, structure of feeling, end quote, a distinct way of organizing basic human emotions into an overarching cultural system. Each historical period has its own way, in other words, of experiencing being alive. This is how Kim Stanley Robinson opens a recent essay in The New Yorker, literally published uh, May 1st, he goes on to write this. The coronavirus is rewriting our imaginations. What felt impossible has become thinkable. We're getting a different sense of our place in history. We know we're entering a new world, a new era. We seem to be learning our way into a new structure of feeling. In many ways, we've been overdue for such a shift. In our feelings, we've been lagging behind the times in which we live. The Anthropocene, the Great Acceleration, the Age of Climate Change, whatever you want to call it, we've been out of sync with the biosphere, wasting our children's hopes for a normal life, burning our ecological capital as if it were disposable income, wrecking our one and only home in ways that will soon be beyond our descendants' ability to repair. And yet, we've been acting as though it were 2000 or 1990, as though the neoliberal arrangements built back then still made sense. We've been paralyzed, living in the world without feeling it. In this essay, Robinson goes to talk about how we have entered this new space because of being thrust into it by this virus, and that it has fundamentally shifted how we've uh, understood our place in history. He says, we've always known more than we've acted. We don't act on what we know. We don't want to change our habits. This knowing but not acting is part of the old structure of feeling, something we were doing for decades, not acting on what we know. But now, now comes this disease that can kill anyone on the planet. It's invisible. It spreads because of the way we move and congregate. Instantly, we've changed. As a society, we're watching the statistics, following the recommendations, listening to the scientists. Do we believe in science? Go outside and you'll see the proof that most people everywhere you look seem to believe in something like science. We're learning to trust our science, at least as a society. There's another part of the new structure, or that's another part of the new structure of feeling. Now, possibly, he writes, and he wrote this on May 1st, possibly in a few months, we'll return to some version of the old normal. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Kim, uh, a lot of white guys, ugly white guys that look like me wearing body armor and assault rifles over their shoulder in Michigan want to return to the, to the old normal yesterday. So, so, so even though this was published on May 1st, it already feels like he may have been more optimistic than what we were willing to muster. Um, but this spring, he says, nonetheless, won't be forgotten. When later shocks strike global civilization, we'll remember how we behaved this time. We'll remember how it worked, and it did. In large part, it was effective. It has been effective, at least to slow things down. So it's not that the coronavirus, in other words, is a dress rehearsal. It's too deadly for that. But it is the first of many calamities that will likely unfold throughout this century, he writes. Now when they come, we'll be familiar with how they feel. So, 
This epidemic brings with it uh, a sense of historical rootedness that many of us have not accessed in our lifetime. Always sort of going with things, not even living according to what we know, always sort of wagering that the future will somehow work out no matter what we do. And I'm not just talking about biosphere futures, my friends. This is a podcast about many things. But today, I want to I take that form of thinking this new structure of feeling that this is a decisive moment, even if people don't want it to be. I want it to be a decisive moment that can rewrite our imaginations. I said nine things last uh, week, what I thought, nine things, nine theses about the age of pandemics, about what the future might look like and the challenges and the alterations. I want to focus on one of those things for the pod this week. And the one thing I want to focus on is the church. I want to ask the question, what would it look like? What would it look like if the Christian church reset? What would it look like if the Christian church revived? What would it look like if the Christian church actually organized itself in a way that said, hey, we know certain things about what it means to be the church, and we know a lot of other things that it never meant to be the church. And I want to offer five, count them, five, five essential things of being the Christian church. Why five? Well, my friends, just saying a number makes it sound like you've accomplished something. There's something weirdly satisfying in saying nine theses, five essentials. This is why people sell self-help books with numbers in the title. Nonetheless, nonetheless, it also helps our small minds organize information. Hooray! So I am going to talk about five things the church needs to get back to, five things that are essential, five things that the church must have and, and, and let almost anything else not necessarily go by the wayside, but be willing, be willing to not get back, okay? I am talking to people uh, just this last week, people who are looking to get out of their leases, churches that are like, I don't even know when we're going to gather again. What is this going to look like? They're trying to restructure things. I know that there was a, a recent uh, president of Christian college that was like, I think faculty is going to have to go to, to part-time faculty. I, I think there's going to be so many changes in higher ed, Christian higher ed, and, and in, and in uh, seminary land, and in, in the pastorate. I know uh, pastors who are being furloughed or sort of laid off, let's just say, uh, the budgets aren't going to be there. Things are going to change. I think more pastors are going to be bivocational. I think there are going to be more and more changes than people realize maybe yet in the church. And I think the church has known for a while that there are some essential things, and yet we have not acted on what we've known. And so I want to just sort of put this forth, put this forward, five essential things. What if, what if the church saw this moment as a moment to make decisive? What if the church saw this moment as a moment to revive what the church is actually up to, to remind ourselves what the church should actually be focused on? I'm going to talk about the five essential things that the church must be focused on if we are to rewrite our cultural imagination, our spiritual imagination, our, our connection to a moment in history in a way that is decisive, not just knowing what we should do, but actually doing what we should do to be the church that Christ has called us to be. The first of these five things that I'm saying, what do you need? What do you need to be the Christian church? I think the first thing we could say that we need to be the Christian church are the four creeds. 
I think a, any Christian church has to be historical and has to be creedal. And what I mean by that is there are three legitimate branches of Christianity. Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism. Those are three legitimate branches of Christianity. Branches that you could find yourself in as an individual. Know God, love God, walk with Jesus, be well, be saved, be there in the kingdom for eternity. But those are three legitimate branches because they are creedal and historic. They are all in agreement on the four creeds, I'm talking the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, what we call sometimes the Nicene-Constantinople Creed. We could just call it the Constantinople Creed or the Constantinopolitan Creed. And then the fourth one, the Creed of Chalcedon, the Chalcedonian Creed. Now, you may not know all these names, but I think for a church to be a legitimate Christian church, it needs to be historic and it needs to be creedal. It needs to hold to the orthodox understanding of who God is as he's been revealed in the scripture in the person of Jesus, and that's what the creeds are up to. The, the Apostles' Creed is the first one that all three branches agree on. Okay, The Apostles' Creed, maybe 2nd century, early 3rd century, we don't have an exact date. The Apostles' Creed, many people say this in their churches, many people know the language of the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know the language of the Apostles' Creed, if it's not mentioned at all in your churches, or if it's not around, or at least the teachings of the Apostles' Creed, the reality of the Apostles' Creed are not around. This is the Trinitarian Creed. This is the fundamental, the first creed of Orthodox Christianity, and it should be that whether you're memorizing or you're saying it in your liturgies, which I know many of you probably are, everybody must believe the Apostles' Creed or you're not a Christian. What is the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Can I get a witness? If you don't believe the Apostles' Creed, you're not a Christian. You don't have to be a Christian. If you want to be a Christian, it means certain things. If you don't want to be a Christian, then you don't have to believe the Apostles' Creed. Fair play. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian church, you absolutely have to agree to the Apostles' Creed. It needs to be historic. It needs to be creedal. It needs to have the Apostles' Creed at its heart. It needs to have the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed 325, probably know this, gathered the Council of Nicaea to refute Arianism, to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, some teachings going on in the church that's describing Jesus as sort of being a, a creature, like a great creature, the best creature, but still a creature. And so Nicaea is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Alexander and then later Athanasius are going to step forward and say, wait a minute, we need to make sure we're all in agreement that Jesus is the Son of God, co-equal with the Father. We're going to use a fancy Greek word, homoousion, consubstantial, of the same substance as the father that's going to be fundamental if you believe that jesus is a creature if you believe he is at the level of lucifer or any other created angelic or any other kind of being you are not a christian i'm sorry you don't have to be a christian i don't i don't make up how to become a christian it's laid down this is what the scripture teaches the creeds affirm what the scripture witnesses to and what the early church actually declared in its worship, okay? So the Nicene Creed makes sure 
that what it means to be a Christian, you cannot lower Jesus beneath the divinity. You cannot lower him from divine status. He is fully God. He is divine, co-substantial, consubstantial, homoousion with the Father. The Nicene Creed, 325, the Nicene Creed, you have to believe that in your church. You should know that in your church. You should teach what that is in your church, or you are not a Christian. (laughs) And again, I'm not saying you have to make your people memorize it, or maybe your people wouldn't even recognize that language, but they should recognize its content. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the begotten of God the Father, the only begotten, that is of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten not made, begotten not made, Arius, begotten not made, of the very same nature of the Father, by whom all things came into being, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, who for us humanity and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate, was made human, was born perfectly of the Holy Virgin Mary, by the Holy Spirit, by whom he took body, soul, and mind, and everything that is in man, truly and not in semblance, he suffered, was crucified, was buried, you can see it's like it's like an emphatic elaboration of this sort of uh, first moment of the apostles creed right it's this incredibly beautiful sort of elaboration and it's it's just all about jesus christ in his divinity it's make sure if you're a christian you worship jesus as thomas does when he falls on his face my lord and my god you got to have the apostles creed you got to have the nicene creed you got to have the constantinopolitan creed it's hard to say it sometimes, especially especially if you say the Niceo Constantinopolitan Creed, but nonetheless, there it is. An expansion and revision of the 325 Creed of Nicaea, as we all know, and it includes a new section on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because there was another heresy that crept up called Apollinarianism, and that pushed back against the divinity and the importance of the Holy Spirit. And so, You've got to have that third creed. That's 381, the Nicaea-Constantinopolitan creed. Get the Holy Spirit, full divine status, full trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All one in their divinity, okay? Co-eternal, consubstantial, all these things. Got to have those three. And then the fourth one, the Chalcedonian Creed, written in response to Nestorian uh, heresies and teachings. The Chalcedonian formulation focuses on and defines that Christ is acknowledged as being fully God and fully man. You need a Jesus that is 100% God, Jesus that is 100% man. He is 100% God. You cannot lower his divine status. Nonetheless, He took on flesh, experienced temptation and struggle and hunger and everything that we have gone through, the scriptures say, but without sin. And so the the nature of Christ being fully human and fully God is what Chalcedon sort of makes sure everyone is clear on. Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Constantinopolitan Creed, Chalcedonian Creed. These four creeds, every church needs to believe these four creeds or you're not a Christian church. Again, You don't have to memorize them all, although I think that would be great. There's certain traditions where I come from, low church evangelicalism slash Pentecostalism slash whatever-ism that doesn't know these creeds, does not memorize them, does not use them in the worship, does not have a liturgy where they are taught. I think maybe a decisive moment for low church evangelicals, sort of the more Pentecostal, third wave, second wave, 
hopefully a little more second wave than third wave. Um, but just sort of casual, I, I, what I call it to Reverend Butler, um, flannels and sandals. Flannels and sandals or, uh, or sandals and Hawaiian shirts. That kind of brand of Christianity oftentimes doesn't know the language of the creeds, even if it believes in the content or the substance of the creeds. Maybe, maybe for your church, maybe if you're a pastor out there, maybe one of the things you're like, you know what, we need to like... We need to take a breath and we need to like say, what are we up to? Why do we keep pushing like new books about, you know, how to do this in small groups and how to do that? Like, what do we keep pushing all this like kind of weird sort of contemporary kind of like, yeah, here's a new strategy. What do we keep pushing business branding, business church stuff? Why don't we push the Apostles Creed? Why don't we introduce the creeds into the language of the church's worship or the creeds into the teaching that is involved in the church. And I'm, I'm exhorting myself. My people believe in this content, but probably don't know the creeds and which one taught what. My students do. I, I teach this to my students at the high school. Um, so, you know, maybe just pick up Justo Gonzalez, uh, Story of Christianity, Volume 1. Let's just get a little church history going on. If you want to be a Christian church that's focused on the essentials, I think the first thing out the gate is you're not Christian if you're not rooted and connected to historical, creedal Christianity. And that is specifically these first four creeds, okay? These first four creeds is what makes Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism, Protestantism legitimate uh, branch of Christianity. If you are not a creedal, historically uh, rooted, connected church, you are not a Christian church. You're something else. And again, you have all the freedom, sad freedom in the world to be something else. But don't say you're Christian if you don't hold to the four creeds and you're not rooted in the history of the church because this is one body founded by Christ and and it's shared. There's a communion of the saints as as the Apostles' Creed says. We are a communion of saints. And so if you're not tethered to the historical creedal church, you're not a Christian church. Okay, so... Maybe for some of you out there, like that's okay, that's gonna be one of your emphases. Ah, oh, we need to get back to that history that we're connected to and the 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 the, the creeds that we've kind of lost sight of. And 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 if you have teaching that's come into your church that lowers the divinity of Christ or 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 emphasizes uh you know one thing against the other or, or you know Christ's nature. Uh, there's all sorts of weird heresies going on right now. And I see them floating through evangelical churches all the time, in part because apparently the pastor and certainly the people don't seem to be be creedal in their understanding and so they have heresy in their midst and they don't even know it's heresy they're like oh that's interesting and i can give you people but i don't have time for that right now so maybe later the second thing the second essential for the christian church the second essential thing that a christian church must be it needs to be personal now, I don't mean the church's experience and the greeters and the, the, the paintings and the atmosphere and the warmth of the just general mood and the music. No, I mean the recognition of the simple fact that having the right doctrine, i.e. historic creedal Christianity, is not enough. Having the right doctrine is not enough. You as an individual must personally believe in Jesus. People have asked me, Dave, why are you still an evangelical? Why why haven't you just gone somewhere, anywhere else? You seem to be sort of interested in this or that. You seem to you seem to have sensibilities that would take you away from the evangelical fold. The reason I have not left evangelicalism in part is because <sighs> Historic evangelicalism is all about the individual needing to truly believe in Jesus. 
And I'm not going to give up on that. I'm not going to say, oh, you got your doctrine right, find the right tribe, find the right group, find the right liturgy, and it'll all just somehow work out. No, it needs to be personal. It's essential. It is absolutely essential. Historic evangelicalism had that right. It needs to be personal. Your family cannot believe for you. I'm sorry. Your culture, your, your church culture cannot believe for you. I'm sorry. You must personally believe in Jesus. You must personally be connected to this. It's not enough to have the right doctrine. If you don't have the right doctrine, you're not a Christian. So it's a non-starter. But it's not enough to just have the right doctrine. Actual praying, begging, pleading, needing belief personal belief in Jesus Christ. And and I'm saying instead of hashtag spirituality, instead of enthusiasm, you know, uh, branding, I'm saying instead of merch, instead of slogans, I'm not talking about that kind of evangelicalism that became commodified church merch, right? Like me and Jesus, you know, I'm not talking about show me how personal this is, Instagram, how personal this is. I'm not, I don't care about that. As soon as I see that, I almost don't believe it's personal at all. It's a performance. It's a show. It feels fake. What I'm talking about is deep in the human heart. An individual cannot just attend a doctrinally sound, historic, creedal church. They must believe they must personally believe. I can think of more than one of occasion, more than one occasion, when Jesus, for example, went into the synagogue to teach, and it just so happened that there was a demon hanging out in one of the dudes who was just regularly there at the synagogue, and, the, and nobody even knew this guy had a demon until Jesus started saying things that were true, and Jesus confronted people, and the demon freaked out and reacted to Jesus. This guy was going to church. Everyone thought this guy, oh, this is a normal synagogue guy. This is our, this is us old Bob, you know. Oh, Bob, you know, Bob, he, uh, you know, he collects uh, the chairs at the end of uh, synagogue, you know, at the end of church. <laughs> you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You know, like you could go to church forever. I went to church with people for years who are not walking with Jesus anymore. They did not believe. They did not hold on to their faith. It was not personal. Maybe it was just like they had a job. They had a role. They did the soundboard. You know, they handed out flyers. I don't know. Maybe they were busy in the church or maybe they just grew up thinking, eh, you know what? This is a this is a sound doctrine. This is, maybe they fought all the doctrine battles, and they were like, "We got the doctrines. We got all the doctrines. We got the historic creedal church. Everything's good." And then there was no life because there was no personal belief. Essential number two: it has to be personal. It, you 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 whoever you are, you must believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That that is the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. You must believe that. Or this is not a starter. Your church has to be personal. Christianity is not real if it's not about personal belief in Jesus. I could go on and on and on because this is where I come from. I'm not against the, the anxious seat, the sawdust trail. I'm not against certain things. I, I'm against when it, when it got wacky. I'm against when it became hyper-personal. I'm against when it became, you know, oh, my little interior spiritual world, and I don't even need church. It's just me and Jesus. I'm against that. That's crazy. There's nothing New Testament about an individual Christian. I'm not about individualism. I am about Jesus being believed by you personally. I am not about you just being in the right tribe or the right group or the right tradition. 
That is not going to save you. You must believe. And that leads almost directly into essential number three. Essential number three for the Christian church to reframe, reset, re- reaffirm, reimagine what would life look like 2020 plus if we just focused on the essentials. Essential number three, you must have spirit responsiveness to Christ's teachings. I'll say it one more time so I don't... <laughs> you must have, in, 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 if you're going to have a, a, a strong, clear-headed, vibrant, possible, like life together, life, true life, Christian church, you must have, essential number three, you must have spirit responsiveness to Christ's teachings. I'll bring this into two parts. First, the church must be about the teachings of Jesus. The church must put the teachings of Jesus high on a lampstand. Not your artwork, not, not your icons, not your tradition. They can be there. I'm, 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 for, I'm for flavor, okay? I'm for traditions. I'm for history. I'm for, you know, the meaningfulness of, of, of certain groups having shared tradition through time. That's lovely. That's not high on the lampstand. That's not at the center. So for some of you, that's at the center. You know, for some of you, your Christianity is your, is your version of Christianity. It's like your tradition is everything. That's not what should be everything. The church ought to have the teachings of Jesus. Hear me clearly. The teachings of Jesus, not just the Bible. The teachings of Jesus high on the lampstand. High on the lampstand. Think about what Jesus says in the Great Commission. He says, I want you to, I'm going to send my apostles. I'll send out my followers. You're going to, I want you to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hello, Apostles' Creed. Hello, Apostles' Creed. I'm going to baptize everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize the nations. Baptize everyone. Teaching them to obey what I have taught you. I am sorry. There is pride of place to the teachings of Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's too many Christians who get their ethics from the Old Testament. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's too many Christians who are reading the Bible like it's flat. I'm sorry. There's a high point in the Bible, and it is the incarnation of Jesus Christ, okay? Everything is funneled through Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Through him, all things were made that were made. He is the full revelation. Think about what Hebrews says. A long time ago, in, in different places, God spoke through the prophets in different times. Now, he has spoken to us through his Son, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says, how do you want to make disciples? I'll tell you how. Teach them to obey everything I taught you. That's what a Christian is. Someone whose life is centered on the teachings of Jesus. Not someone whose life is centered on certain books in the Old Testament. Although, yes, please, and, and be, you know, be grown and be educated and be able to have historical framework for, for Jesus' life as the fulfillment of Israel. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Nonetheless, highest on the lampstand, most central in your church should be the teachings of Jesus. The teachings of Jesus should be what your church returns to more and more and more and more and more, way more than anything else. The teachings of Jesus need to be held high in the lampstand. That was his, his exhortation for his apostles, his disciples, to make disciples, teach them to obey what I taught you. That is what it means to be a Christian. You have to have the teachings of Jesus high in the lampstand. Too many Christians, too many churches 
just saying, you know, it's, it's just as good to be in this book as to focus on the Gospels. It's just as good to be over here as that. It's not that those are bad. Paul says, look, all, all Scripture is good uh, for exhortation, for reproof, rebuke, you know, good examples, good models, bad models, bad examples to learn from, right? You can use, you can sermon everything. You can, you can, you can see the meaning and the history and the beauty of, of everything, Nonetheless, highest on the lampstand, no question, and there's really not even any close second. The teachings of Jesus need to be what your church is up to. And I'm telling you, if you're a pastor and you're hearing this and it's like, that's not been the case, then I am begging you. I am begging you in this new era, this new structure of feeling, this new, we know and now we need to just do what we know. The teachings of Jesus should be central. But as I said in essential number three, it isn't just Christ's teachings that need to be central. It is spirit responsiveness to Christ's teachings. You need to understand that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives the word life. Jesus said you search the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that that's going to give you life. But it's the scriptures that talk about me. It's not just searching the scriptures. It's, it's, it's having the power of the Holy Spirit pointing to the teachings of Jesus, illuminating the teachings of Jesus so that you can personally believe and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your Master, for whom you are an apprentice, a disciple, a learner. It is the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just give life to anything. This is what we get so wrong, especially in my sort of evangelical slash Pentecostal background. The Spirit does not give life to your feelings. He doesn't give life to your, 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 your interests. He doesn't, give life to, he doesn't give life to just anything. The Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of Christ's, of Christ's, Christ's Spirit. <laughs> so you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to the creeds? He just multiplied Christ. Um, no, the Spirit of Christ gives life to the believing in and the following of the teachings of Jesus. The illumination and power and life of the Spirit comes through the teachings of Jesus. It has to come out of the Scriptures and the teachings of Christ if you want the Spirit. I'm going to say it again. It has to come out of the Scriptures and the teachings of Jesus if you want the Spirit. That's what the Spirit gives life to, is the teachings of Jesus when they are responded to in the heart. In the heart. When the heart is able to get clean and grow and the world, the world, the flesh, the devil is thrown out of your heart and you begin to grow. And he who has, has more and more and more. And this is life. This is Zoe life. This is that, that new eternal life, that saving life, that kingdom life. This is life. The Spirit of the Lord wants the teachings of Jesus to be responded to. The Spirit must be responded to. The teachings of Jesus, central in your church, and the Spirit is the one who gives life to those who brings them into the human soul, confronts the human soul with our desperate need for Jesus, with our desperate need to be conformed into the image of Christ, with our desperate Philippians to have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, with our desperate need to be like Christ, to follow Christ, to become like Christ, to be shaped into the image and the Spirit and the life of Christ. That is what the Spirit gives life to. You must respond to the Spirit. To do that, 
You must respond to the Spirit's work through the teachings of Jesus, through the believing and the growing and the maturing, through the cleansing of the power of the teachings of Jesus coming into your heart, being believed on, and the Spirit being able to work actively, fruitfully, terrifyingly sometimes. But my friends, you're not going to have a dead orthodoxy and be connected to the Spirit's work in this life. You're not going to have all your doctrine in a line and all your creeds lined up and, and, and be like, yeah, okay, I'm connected to the Spirit. I, I have all the doctrine lined up. No, it has to, there has to be the Spirit giving you, bringing life and understanding to the teachings of Jesus and that being believed personally. I'm combining all the things here. Okay, historic and creedal first. Second, it's got to be personal. You have to personally believe that Jesus is Lord. Third, you must have Christ. You must have spirit responsiveness to Christ's teachings. Number four, fruit. All connected. You, you want to have a real Christian church? You want to have a real Christian life connected to a real Christian church? Essential number four. You need to follow through. You need to follow through. Not, none of this like start, stop, start, stop, start, leave. Start, don't, don't finish, right? Like f- fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Number four, essential. You have to have a true, deep commitment to discipleship. You have to follow through. You have to be changed. You have to be transformed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm all, I'm out here being all whatever. I'm sorry, but you have to change. That's what it means to believe and trust. That's what it means for the Spirit to be alive and active in your heart. You have to. Number four, you have to follow through. You have to have a true deep commitment to true discipleship, to transformation, to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, to changing through learning, believing, and trusting in the Scriptures and what they teach you about Jesus and what he has called us to be, what he has called us to witness to. Learn of me, he says. You must be a disciple. The difference between coming to Christ and following Christ. Number four, you have to follow Christ. You have to follow through with your commitment to Christ. You want to build a house? You want to build a house? If you want to build a house, you have to follow through. You want to, you want to build a house? You have to count the cost. You don't start something if you're not going to finish it, Jesus says. Right? And, and what that means in the Christian life, uh, let's put a fine point on it. Let's dot the I and cross the T. You have to become a good person. Ooh, wait, all my reformed people out there, wait, wait, Luther says, wait, you don't have to become good. You have to just know that you're not good and <laughs> constantly reset to zero and beg God for mercy and then trust in his grace. Okay, I'm sorry. Faith without works is dead. If, if you are not following through with a life that is being changed, to resemble a life that is being lived in the spirit and power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit at work in you, you are you are not a Christian. You have to you have to be become change. You have to become a good person. You have to build a life. You have to change. You have to become more and more good. Go back and uh, look at uh, that that uh, that episode with uh, Reverend Stratton and I. You know the love of God does not leave you where you are. Right, God's holiness changes us. An encounter with this God does not leave you as you are. You have to change if you are going to follow through. To follow through and not give up on this faith, on this life. Church, 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 emphasize this. Don't be afraid. Don't be hyper grace so that nobody lives. Make sure grace is not abused. Grace is costly, our boy Bonhoeffer reminds us. It's not cheap. 
It's not just some ticket you pull when you feel bad and you just reset. Grace is what allows us to become those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who, who put on this new life that is in Jesus Christ, that cast off the flesh. And Paul says, like, you're not going to inherit the kingdom if you continue in these ways, these old ways, the ways of the flesh, the ways of perversion, sin and death. You're not going to continue that way. In Romans, Paul says it very clearly, right? You are alive now in the Spirit. Because you are connected to Christ in the Spirit, you don't have to sin. The power of sin in your life has been broken. You are free now to follow Jesus Christ better and better and more and more. I'm sorry, it's true. You have to change. Number four, you have to follow through with a deep commitment, which yields transformation. The power of the Holy Spirit exhibited in the life of the believer who is changing and maturing. You have to exhibit it, not signs and wonders of wah, you know whatever you have to exhibit signs and wonders of the holy spirit yielding fruit in you love peace patience self-control the only way to really bring growth into your life is to follow through with your commitment to jesus all of these things right all of these things it make you holier and holier you must become holy I know this is way out of step with what's popular or even sort of comfortable for people to say, but you must say and do what is good. You are called to do the good. He has prepared works of goodness for you to walk in. You must demand the fruit of the gospel in your own life. Otherwise, it's not clear that you're completing the cycle. It looks to me it, it, it looks to Jesus like if you are not demanding the fruit of the gospel in your own life it looks to him like you started building a house and abandoned it it looks like there's just pieces all over the place you have to follow through essential number four to have a church that is really focused on how to make disciples it's not just focused on how to start them getting them in you know church in so many senses has completely missed the mark by becoming an evangelism center I'm sorry, but the church is not evangelism. The church is meant to equip the saints to do the work of evangelism in their ordinary lives. The church is about maturing disciples. That's what the church is for. It's not for non-believers. Non-believers are welcome. Non-Christians are welcome. But it's not are all this sort of marketing muscle, sort of brainstorming, sort of strategizing power to make the church an evangelistic moment for everybody is crazy. It's a complete misunderstanding of what the time of worship, common worship together, the teachings of Jesus, believing on Jesus, walking with, praying for each other, singing worship songs together with God's people on Sunday morning, right? All the things the church is, is to equip the saints. It's to equip Christians, to mature Christians from milk to meat. It's to grow Christians. That's what church is for. And then those equipped saints become evangelists in the world, become evangelists in the world. But that number four, man, we lose sight of that when we make the church all about the attractional and the evangelistic. That's not what the church is about. The church is to equip Christians to become more mature more holy, more transformed, more changed, more trusting, more peaceable, more self-control, more devoted to the good, more trusting in Jesus, more like Jesus people, to become Christians more and more, to become more and more mature in their faith, to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as it says in Galatians, right? That's what the church is for. That's what the church is for. 
And so, and so then, that leads to the last, number five. Number five, essential number five. I'm saying, like, don't let corona be wasted by not waking us up to what we need to focus on. What are the essentials of the Christian life? The essentials, therefore, of the Christian church? Got to be connected to the world. <laughs> Got to be. Essential number five. You have to be connected to this world in legitimate and real ways. So many times in the 80s and 90s and the aughts, the mega churches just became a bubble world. Its own campus, its own fountain, its own rec center, its own school, its own everything. It was not connected to the real world. You need to be connected to this real world. And you need to have an incarnational influence in this real world. You need to get a job. You need to, you need to, I met so many Christians when I was like in my early twenties that would be like, they acted like getting a job was like giving up on the spirit. (laughs) It was like, it was just like, Hey man, I just trust the spirit. The spirit leads me. And apparently the spirit never led them to grow up, get a job, be responsible, be reliable, have integrity. It was just crazy. It was just like, what do you mean the spirit leads you? It sounded like they were like on a drug, but it was called the spirit. And it was just like, yeah, I just kind of float through life and and get like you know hits of the spirit and stuff like that but it it rarely was communicated in my in my younger days especially my younger days in church and church leadership it was rarely communicated how important it was to be connected to the world in legitimate and real ways it was rarely commented on how christians had almost utterly ruined their witness to the world how how christians had almost utterly ruined their evangelistic uh, abilities with their neighbor because of how the church had behaved, because of how Christians spoke, because of the bubble we had closed ourselves in. This is not real. You have to have a connection to the real world that's legitimate. You have to work. You have to build a life, maybe a family. You, you, know, you have to have a real life in the world. You have to be bound up with this world. Not, not of the world, but in the world. You're there in the world for the world. We're here in the world for the world. Jesus came into this world, incarnated into this world. He did not meet in a bubble, did not stay in a bubble. The church needs to be a place where your life in Christ is promoted, but reality is around you and not ignored. And, I, and that's why I'm saying it's not just so Christians need to be connected to the world. I'm saying the church, the church needs to crawl out of this bubble it made around itself. Crawl out of this sort of like, we're the, we're the sandbox for everything you would ever need. That is such a waste of money and time, and it's not healthy. The church has to be promoting and explaining a form of Christianity and then living out a form of Christianity that is connected to the world, is connected to the world around you, that does not ignore the world, that does not say, oh, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to rapture our way out of here and, and good luck, old world or whatever. The church has to be this place where you can see the connection between your life in Christ and your life in this world, that your life has incarnational witness, evangelistic potency to it, because you're able to engage by love with your neighbor, with your culture, with civic society, for the common good. You're able to be salt and light because you're actually connected in legitimate and real ways. And my friends, what that should do from the church to the individual is that should prune out and maybe burn down completely much of what the church and Christians say and much of the way we behave in front of the watching world. It can't be overemphasized. Like, 
if you're really a Christian, then people should know you by the love you have for brothers and sisters in the faith. And that love is extended by command of Christ to your neighbor, that you would love your neighbor, that you would love people who are not you, who are not like you as much as you love yourself. And that's what we're supposed to be known for. That's what we're supposed to be known by. It's like one of the, one of the only and recurring commands of Jesus in his teachings. If you held up, if you put on a pedestal the teachings of Jesus, if you put on a pedestal the Sermon on the Mount, if you put on a pedestal as often as we put other issues, political issues, you know, uh, this or that group issues, right, culture war issues, if you put the teachings of Jesus regularly on the pedestal and ask the Holy Spirit to help you in that church, the people of your church, to believe and be conformed by the teachings of Jesus, by spirit responsiveness, spirit-led, spirit-directed responsiveness, a life that is following through, producing the fruit of the spirit. That's what church is up to, and church is not sealing people off from the world disconnecting them from the world, setting them against the world, the fight against the world and battle against their culture and their neighbor as their enemy and all this kind of stuff. But if you held up the teachings of Jesus, believed in the spirit, made sure your church was historic, creedal, orthodox, not heretical, if you had that new personal belief was, was alive and well and people were following through, the fruit of the spirit was being produced, Christians would then go forth from those places, breathed in, breathed out, breathed in, breathed out in this regular rhythm of evangelism, of love, of caring, of kindness, of witnessing to Jesus in the world on behalf of what Christ actually called us to do and to be in this world. Number five, you have to be connected to this world in legitimate and real ways. I think those are five essentials every church needs. I know people could have put other things on this list. No, oh, what about that? What about this? Of course, like there are, thing, there are things in there that can be folded in. I just want to emphasize these five things. I think there's a moment here in which our churches can look at, at ourselves as the church and say, man, we did a lot of things the last 10 years, last five years. We spent a lot of things. We brainstormed a lot of things. We, 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 and I say wasted. We, we spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of things. But really, at the end of the day, I think every church needs, needs to be historic and creedal. It needs to be personal, personal belief in Jesus. It needs to have spirit responsiveness to Christ's teachings needs to have people who are following through with deep commitments to true discipleship, transformation through the Holy Spirit, and needs to be connected to this world in legitimate and authentic ways. I think if you have those five things, I think I think you have more than than I you have more than enough. I think you have everything. I think I think you would survive I think you would survive pandemic after pandemic after pandemic, and and you would just you wouldn't be a phase at certain points because you would be growing, you would be developing, and you would realize that man to have those five things, we don't need a lot of this stuff. Our budgets have been obsessed with. We don't need a lot of these emphases, a lot of this merch, a lot of this branding, a lot of all this other stuff that we've been like so like consumed with. What if there's this moment of pruning? What if pastors maybe they have to become bivocational? to say, man, I just don't have, I don't have 40 to 50 hours to just sort of brainstorm the next, next church activity. You know what? Maybe that's our saving grace. Maybe you weren't supposed to have 50 hours to sort of just plan a bunch of stuff or just say, oh, now, what, now what can we meet about? Maybe you're not supposed to have so many meetings. 
maybe there are a handful of essential things like this that that we need to be up to and maybe the things we were up to was a lot of wasted time and maybe a lot of wasted saints money maybe we need to be better stewards of the tithes and offerings of the christian people that we are responsible for or that we are in congregations with i don't i'm not to put something too hard on whatever i'm you know if if the conviction sticks wear it but I'm just saying, I think there's a moment here. I'm picturing like channeling the spirit, like almost like the force ghost of Eugene Peterson, sort of look, looking out at a, a moment like this and be like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe the American Christian church could finally sort of like slough off this disgusting, sort of embarrassingly sort of uh, shiny uh, imitation of what is cool and what is fancy and what is loud and what is you know emotional and what is exciting and what is attractional and what is you know whatever and and maybe we could just get back to what matters maybe we could get back to basics maybe we could focus on the essentials of the christian life which should be the essentials of any christian church and i'm offering five essentials for you for your church and and i think man if we came through a moment like this the people who who continue to walk out the faith who continue in these ways, these are going to be the people who are there at the end. This is going to be a remnant, man. If there's a remnant, I don't got a lot of hope for a lot of other aspects of our society. We're so hateful. We're so insanely against each other. It didn't take six weeks for us to go back to literally wanting to just like go back to war. So like Christian church has an opportunity to say, man, we were never meant to be the culture, to be the world. We were meant to be witnesses of Jesus in the world. This is what we need to be up to. And you know what? The gates of hell won't prevail against Christ's church. But you just want to make sure you are not spending a lot of time, money, effort, or whatever else not being Christ's church. God bless. Take care. Be well. Follow Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well, think well, and love well. Godspeed.